at our annual Church of God convention this past week, she had Sheila Walsh and Francis Chan, some other great speakers. She was commissioned officially uh, to be a missionary in the Roatan area. And since our class is a rope holder, and because uh, Jenny Loken over here, if you'll raise your hand, Jenny, I won't make you stand up and talk. Jenny keeps us in contact with things that we need to be doing. A gift was given to her at the conference, and so uh, she can talk about it. But anyway, we want to give her some time to just share with you what God is doing in Roatan. So, Deborah, if you'll come on up, and I'll get this uh, out of your way. Tag teaming, yes. Yeah. Oh, and if, where is it? Thank you for having me today. I've been here three Sundays, and I've not got to come to this class, so I was so excited when they said, you're on the schedule in Cliff's class. So that's my class, so I'm glad for that. And so grateful for technology that I get to be part of the class through iTunes, so that's awesome. I like that, and, and so I'm really grateful. If you don't mind, I'd like to just say a word of prayer before we start. Lord, I just am so grateful for who you are and what you do, and and for the team that we are serving the kingdom and just doing what you put in front of us wherever we are. Thank you so much for the amazing people you've put in my life. And I just stand in awe on what you're doing, what you're going to do, and what you have done. Thank you. In your name I pray. Amen. Okay, so this verse is a pretty important one to me. Look around at the nations. Look and be amazed, for I'm doing something in your own days, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. And for sure, six years ago, I would not believe that this is what I'm doing. Um, and also that uh, I would be working with Church of God, or Global Strategy is a new name, <laughs> uh, with the Church of God Ministries, which my parents were part of for 30 years. And so it's really, um, for me, it, it's, it's a really nice to be kind of going full circle with that. But I want to say that what I do would have never been done, and I don't see them here if it weren't for Gary and Charlotte Shaw. So they had the vision for this. They're the ones that really planted the seed in my heart. They poured their lives their money into this, and we're not done. I'm just, I'm just working under the umbrella of another organization. So uh, I'm just, will ever be grateful to them for getting me down there. So, you know, and, and just making it happen and making it easy to happen. So I'm thankful for that. Um, so yeah, this was, I was officially commissioned this last week with Global Strategies of Church of God Ministries in and this has been more than just me moving with this other organization. God is doing some really cool things through that. Um, one is that I have connected with the, the, the pastor the, of the Church of God Churches in Honduras. And um, that was going to be a tricky thing because they were like, he's been kind of burned by people in the past. And he's a little skittish about talking to missionaries and stuff. And we met each other, and we were just like best buds. So that's really cool. <laughs> and uh, he is actually from Roatan, and his aunt is my next-door neighbor, and his dad got saved in the church I go to, and, and it's just really exciting. And he's so excited about that that um, the plan is probably in two years they're going to plant a congregation in Roatan. So that's a really cool thing. So I'm very excited about that opportunity. So when I went back in January, I'd been teaching the police off and on since I first went down there. But um, I'd been really praying, God, just do you want me to keep doing this? And I'd heard that the police chief wanted classes from me. And, and so one morning I was praying, and the Lord was like, this is a day. Go talk to Torres. And I'm like, okay, I'll do this. Because I had two other prayers that week that I kind of ignored, and then God hit me over the head again, do this, do this. So third time I obeyed immediately. And so, isn't that an oxymoron? I don't know. And so, and so I, I, we went to the police station and it was very crowded. There was no place to park and Sarah was in the car with me. And I'm like, oh, we'll just come back another day. She said, mother, today's the day. So I went up and I met with the police chief and I'm like, I hear you want English classes and I'd love to teach the officers or give you private lessons. And, and are you interested? He goes, yes. When can you start? 
tomorrow? Okay, we, we'll start tomorrow. And so we did, and after the first week, it was Friday, and I said, I'll see you Monday. Because you're not coming Saturday? I'm like, you know, Saturday's my day off. And, uh, and he's like, we really need this. I'm like, well, till school starts, I'm not as crazy, I'll come Saturday. And this Saturday, he was like, are you coming Sunday? I said, I am not coming Sunday. <laughs> but it's been a joy to teach these guys, and... Um, and this is another group that we teach, and uh, they, they work down in the tourist area of, in Roatan, and to really meet with them and just pour into their lives and pour Jesus into their lives, it's really, a, it's really a cool thing. And when I was talking to Donnie Allen, who's the man with Church of God in, in Honduras, he said, you know what, here's the deal, Deborah. these police, they're from the mainland, and they're, they're sent to the island, and they rotate through. So what's happening is you're influencing these guys that are going back to the mainland all over the place, which, because I get frustrated because they keep rotating through and I can't get them where I want them to be, you know, but he's, I, I never had really looked at it like that way. Okay, you're pointing to people that are going to go back and, you know, hopefully be changed. So that's one thing we're doing. Um, this man is a dear friend of ours. He's a detective and he actually lives on our property with us. And so we have the best security on the island. Um, <laughs> And, and he told me when he came there, he, one time he said, I had a dream about this place where we live many years ago, and it's a holy place. And don't worry, I'll protect you and Sarah. And he housed that for me last week, so that was nice. But he's an awesome gift to us. Danny is another policeman we've worked with, and Danny has really been seeking for direction. One day in class, I said, oh, you're a good man, Danny Flores. And he goes, no, I'm not, Miss Deborah." And he just started telling me things that had happened in his life, and and how he, he really was see, needed God, but he was afraid to go take that step. And he went on vacation and came back, and he was glowing. He couldn't wait to talk to Sarah and I. because, you know, when I was home, I reconciled with the mother of my son. I started going to church every day with my mother, and I'm just so excited. And then, due to, it's a long story that I'm not going to go into, but he just lost his job. He, so he's not a policeman anymore. But he's okay with that because he's going back to where he feels like he can be with his family and pour into them. But I'm just grateful that Danny is one of our best friends. Uh, Miss Lavinia and Astle. Astle is the man that was responsible for giving us the property to the school. And one day Miss Lavinia said to me, you know, Miss Deborah, you're an answer to our prayers. And that's just, to me, because I told her, I know God sent me here. She said, you're an answer to our prayers. And to be an answer to someone's prayer is really humbling, you know? And, and what, a, what a, a joy and what a responsibility that is to be the answer to someone's prayers. I love this picture. We were having a quinceanera. <laughs> this is Macy, you know, pushing the wheelbarrow all dressed up to, for her daughter's quinceanera. And um, she came to me one day and she said, you know, I just, I really got right with Jesus. Uh, that's so awesome, Macy. And so then she said, you know, money's kind of tight, but all these people come to me because I know ways of doing medicine the old ways, and, and I, the, I'm not supposed to do that. I'm like, Maisie, there's nothing wrong with bush medicine. She goes, this is not bush medicine, Miss Deborah. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and she said, but so the other day, last, in the last week, all these people came to me wanting me to do this basic voodoo kind of stuff for them. And she said, no, you need Jesus. So that's exciting to see happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So this is um, our school that this church helped build, which is really exciting. About no, six weeks ago, the director for education for the island just showed up the school unannounced, which I love that he's visiting schools unannounced. I think that's really good. And he just showed up unannounced. And as he was leaving, he looked at me and said, Miss Deborah, there's a really sweet spirit here in your school. I looked at him and said, yeah, it's because Jesus is here. He goes, yeah, I know, I know, I could tell. And Freddie, who works with me, he's at lots of meetings with the Department of Education. He's like, Juan Ramon talks about our school all the time. So that's cool that we're a, we're a light that way. Um, Janine loves her son. Her son Mason is in our school, but she works in the Cayman Islands as a cook. And so she sees her son about two months a year. She was on the island not too long ago, and um, it was her last day there, and Mason was at school. I'm like, Mason, why are you at school today? 
let's walk down. Do you want to see your mom, spend the day with your mom? He goes, yeah. So we walked down the hill to her house, and, and he's 11. He's a big boy. He's as tall as I am. He's big. And he walked into his house, and he just sat down by his mama and put his head in her lap and just started crying. And I thought, you know, and she said, but I know that Mason is in good hands and that you are taking good care of him, and, and his grandmother is. But she said the same thing. You know, there's something different about the kids here. And again, I just said, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. This is a, Kavana was with us last year in kindergarten. And she would come to school every day just disheveled, late, angry, and um, it was really sad I'm like, and hard. And um, her mom does things to make a living that make it difficult. You know, she's, I don't know for sure what she does, but I know it's not good. And so it looked like Kavana wasn't going to get to come back to school this year because of some parameters had been set and her mother wasn't willing to follow those. And so it was about two weeks before school started, her grandfather came to me and goes, Miss Deborah, I will do anything. I will clean the school every day. I will do anything. Just let my granddaughter come to school. He said, you know, I found out that her mom was going out and leaving this five-year-old girl locked up every night in the house. And, or she was bringing men home with drugs and guns. And, and I try to stay out of how my kids raise their children, but that, I just can't let that go. So she's living with us now. I'm like, yeah, let's have her back. And this is Kavana now. It's exciting to see. Um, this is another story I just want to tell you about a boy named Pablo. He's in first grade this year. When he was a baby, uh, his, his mother died. And so when he was 18 months old, a lady on the island arranged for him to be adopted by a family in Canada. So he went to Canada when he was a baby. I think it was about four or five. And there's two sides to every story, but the bottom line is they brought him back to Roatan and left him. Um, and so this lady found out that he'd just been brought back when he, he spoke perfect English he'd been raised in Canada he came back he refused to speak English would only speak Spanish and so he was sent to a, a, a children's home on the mainland and because he's black he was beat up every day at, there and so they brought him back to the island and he landed in the neighborhood where the school is living with the cousin and um, so the cousin asked, can Pablo come to school? And I said, well, we'll see. And then I was at a graduation. This Italian lady asked me, I have a little boy, and he's living in your neighborhood. Can you come to your school? I'm like, okay, God, you want Pablo here. And so Pablo joined us this year. In the first really six weeks of school, he was angry all the time. I mean, there was nothing this boy did not destroy. And, you know, and, and uh, he wouldn't speak English, and he just, it was just angry. And, of course, who wouldn't be? All the rejection he had been through. And so it was about three weeks ago, I just noticed, like, you know what? Pablo's speaking English all the time. And Pablo's not tearing stuff up anymore. And he comes into school in the morning, oh, Miss Deborah, I love you. Can I do math? I said, yes, you can do math. <laughs> yeah, so he, it's a joy to see that happen. Um, when I went back, the Lord really put it on my heart to start praying about our living situation. And we rent a property that is really perfect for what we do there. Uh, it's on a fairly large plot of land. Three houses are on there. Um, we use it to house teachers and for when teams come down. And so one day the Lord said, you need to contact the owner and say, you know what? I'm interested in buying the property. I have no money, but I'm interested in buying the property. <laughs> and so I didn't. And then another, it was like the next day the Lord said, write this letter and send it to Kate. It was so strong. It woke me up. I'm like, okay. So I wrote the letter, and I gave it to my daughter to make it sound good because she's a really good writer. And so she was working on it, and I opened my email, and there was a letter from, an email from Kate saying, you know, we're selling the property, and people are going to come and start doing all these upgrades to it. We just want you to know there's going to be construction going on in and out. And I said, funny you should say that. Just as you read that, my daughter was writing a letter to you about we would love to buy this property. Don't have any money, but we'd love to buy it. And... Um, and she, she sent me back. I didn't hear from her for a long time. And then I found it was going the wrong address and said, there's no one we'd rather sell this to than you, Deborah. And so that was kind of going on. There was a foundation I talked to, like, you have funds. You could help us buy this property. And they said, yeah, you fit in our parameters. And then just nothing happened. I'm like, God, I don't understand what's going on. I'm just being obedient. You know, you know what's supposed to happen. Kate came down. She's not a believer by any stretch of the imagination. And she was on the island. And... Um, we, we talked and, and spent quite a bit of time together. And um, it was her last day there, and I said, Kate, 
I kind of need to know what kind of timeline you're giving me. And she just stopped. She looked me in the eye and she said, I'm getting goosebumps, Deborah. I know God is going to give you the money to buy this property. I'm like, I'm glad you have so much faith. (laughs) So I don't know. But I think, you know, it is about being a witness to her too and what God's going to do. And he knows. He knows. So it's just exciting to see what the Lord is doing and just get on and go for the ride. I can't, I mean, this crazy journey I'm on is just wonderful. And I couldn't do it without you guys holding me up. And I mean, when you brought that gift bag, it was huge. (laughs) I'm like, wow, look at all this stuff. You know, and the birthday cards, and those things really are important. It really does get lonely. And technology really is wonderful. So like me on Facebook. We'll be friends. (laughs) That's a great way for me to stay in touch with people. Email. It's just, that really is an encouraging thing to me. If you're on a cruise and it stops in Roatan, you better call me, okay? You know, we will figure out a way to show you around and see what we're doing. You'll see, you'll have an island tour that no one else will have, okay? So, you know, do that. Um, and this is really what, in, in Luke seventeen ten, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We've simply done our duty. And that's why I feel like God just put this in front of me. And I really believe we're called to love God, love people, and do what he puts in front of us. And he just put Roatan in front of me. So thank you so much. Um, What can you do? Pray. The most important thing you can do is pray for us. Pray that we will be a light for Jesus, that he will be lifted and honored up. I forgot to say this. It's pretty important about Kavana's mom. Sarah started an exercise class, and Kavana's mom's been coming to it. And she, Sarah told me last night, they asked me, so when can we do a girls' night together? So I think, you know, that's just cool to see what God is doing. Come, we love to have groups. We love to have interns. You can be a 70-year-old intern. I'm fine with that. Um, <laughs> or just come down and, and hang out with us. We'll work you as hard or maybe not so hard. I work people pretty hard because I work pretty hard. But I won't. if you don't feel like it, that's fine. We'd love to have you come and spend time with us. You can give, you can sponsor a child, and we can just serve because we are a team. Because really the only thing that counts, I love this verse, is faith expressing itself in love. So thank you for what you're doing for me and for the people that I love so much in Roatan. Thanks. Um, I'm going to, in any time we have a, a presentation like this, and I'm going to be doing some teaching, I'm going to ask you if you want to, you don't have to, if you have a smartphone or a tablet or something, go to Socrative.com. I've got a couple of questions there that if you'd like to ask or get to Deborah, uh, what you'd like to know about what's going on, go to Socrative.com. Go to the student login. You don't have to join or do anything. But the room number is 50168. And it's open. I'm going to leave it open for a while. Uh, It's web-based. And I'm going to leave this uh, open for a while for you uh, to be able to answer some questions if you want to. There's some questions about what we'll be talking about today. And uh, we can uh, uh, go from there. Deborah, I'm going to pull this jump drive out if that's okay. Okay, and then the Mac will tell me. Uh, But anyway, if you're interested in uh, communicating, we'll get that. I've disabled names, by the way, so we don't know who's saying what. Uh, I've learned uh, that some of y'all are a little cranky, and uh, so we we disable the names. So go to Socrative.com, and when it asks for the student login, uh, just put room number 50168. I'll see some of you already there. And I mean, it just says anonymous 60DC3, so whoever that is. Uh, so there won't be any, and I'll, uh, I'll be uh, uh, giving this uh, information to Deborah. And then there's some other things about class today I'd like for us to, uh, to consider, okay? Good, I'm glad you're here today. <clears throat> we had a crazy week here at the church. We had our national convention here, and Deborah was commissioned, and there were thousands of people around here, and so my cup runneth over. I'm trying not to have the class runneth over. And, and uh, so, hey, turn to John 12. We're trying to get out of this chapter one of these days. And uh, we've been discussing uh, this idea of conversations with Jesus. You know, have you ever had one of those conversations with people when they say something, you go, what? Huh? You know, it's, it's stunning. It, in some sense, it's like, 
you know, I'd say, what? What, what, what are you saying here? I, this doesn't make sense to me. I think some of the conversations that Jesus had with people, and as we see them recorded in, in the Gospels, I think that's the response. Of, what? Huh? What are, you, what are you saying here, Jesus? Our conversation part is, huh? And his part is to tell us. And so we're looking at this, and we're in John chapter 12. We're going to begin at verse 24, and we're discussing it under this idea of adjusting to reality. Adjusting to reality. You know, I was thinking as Deborah was sharing that, for some of us, and even what Lynn shared uh, earlier about the women's retreat, about our city and our world, that sometimes the reality of what's going on in our world is shocking, isn't it? I mean, some of you go, oh, come on, that... I think Deborah, if I don't uh, let me tell a story here, but Deborah, I think, said when I heard this before that Kiva was locked in the house. She's locked in a closet and uh, put away like a piece of furniture. <clears throat> uh, so, so, I mean, that, that's shocking to us at times, isn't it? And reality sometimes is like that. It, it shocks us. It, 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 it jars us a bit. And I think that, that Jesus uh, uh, lots of times uh, says things that shock us. They, they sort of jar us back to reality. That's why we study uh, his word. I, and I think about this. I know reality TV's a, a big deal now and everybody's watching it. Who cares if Bob chooses Cindy? I, who, and I, I don't watch that stuff. <clears throat> you know, I'm watching important stuff like Seinfeld and uh, <clears throat> a show about nothing. <clears throat> uh, it'd be a reality TV, you know, like uh, Becky is uh, watching. We'll sometimes go through it and I say, honey, they're not really alone. There's a cameraman behind that thing, you know, just so we remember. <clears throat> I remember when Becky and I got married that Becky had a dose of reality uh, not long. She realized after we first got married that I had been raised by a mother that treated our house like a hotel. I never made my own bed. The the people that cleaned the room up came in and did that. I never cleaned my own room. Never. Never. My mom had this idea of what the house ought to look like a hotel, and I couldn't do it right. Once I figured that out, I played that thing to the hilt. <clears throat> oh, I just don't know if I can do that right. But Becky realized that I had never made my bed. I had never cleaned my room. I would drop clothes in the house as I walked through it. My mom would come right behind me and pick them up, just like that, because she wanted the house to look like that. I remember that Becky also told me that you don't dry off after you step out of the shower. I didn't know that. I thought everybody did that. I, I remember her saying, we have to talk about a couple of things. <clears throat> you know, about how I'm going to have to raise you now. And, and, and that's true for almost any marriage, in any relationship, in any situation. We just have this tendency to not deal with reality. We tend to kind of get in a cocoon or kind of get into a situation where things are shocking to us. Oh, that's really happening in Roatan or Oklahoma City or whenever I thought, when I said to Becky, well, you're being a little harsh here. My mom, oh boy, that did not go well. <laughs> yeah, that was my dose of reality. <laughs> well, my mom always, your mother doesn't live here anymore. <laughs> reality. <clears throat> Jesus <clears throat> has a way of kind of pulling us back to reality. Last week we looked at a God-timed life, the reality of what that looks like. I hope you did something about that. And we also looked at a life that knows that the purpose of life is to bring glory to God, not just be comfortable or not just do what we want to do, but, but to bring glory to God. And there's some other things. I'll, we don't have a lot of time today, and I, I, you know, we'll, we'll keep working this. But in this passage in 24, Jesus makes some astounding <laughs> statements that for me at least... <clears throat> kind of pull me back to reality. When Jesus said this, the hour is glorified, verse 20, the son of man is to be glorified. The hour has come. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls in the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Save me from this hour, father. But for this very purpose, I came into the world. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it. So the crowd of people stood by and heard it saying, 
that had been thundered, or others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, this voice was, has come not for my sake, but for yours. Now judgment is upon this world, and now the ruler of this world will or shall be cast out. And if I am lifted up to the earth, from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. Now I want to look at this <clears throat> reality. We're going to probably just look at one, so relax all you uh, uh, blank filler inners. Uh, <clears throat> we're going to look at this first one. And I think, I, I just want to take it. Adjusting to the way one may experience life. Adjusting <clears throat> to the way uh, that one <clears throat> may uh, experience life. You know, I, <clears throat> there, there's a lot of books uh, at the bookstores, if you go now, that talk about life and how to live it to the fullest and what is it all about. And I've read what Henry David Thoreau said, most men leave lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with a song still in them. That's pretty sad, isn't it? You know, that Walden Pond must have not, he must, should have gone swimming a couple more times. <clears throat> Quit writing and go swimming. Uh, but, but this idea of life, you know, uh, there's research by a guy named uh, Dan, Ball, uh, Dan Gilbert who's written a book called Stumbling into Happiness. I, he's not a Christian or a follower of Jesus, but he's a smart guy and, and study, uh, teaches at Harvard about, about how can people be happy? How can they experience life? And he has a great deal of research on this that indicates that happiness is less a matter of circumstances than it is a perspective in how we see it. He did some fascinating research that showed two pictures. One was a picture of the guy in West Virginia that has won the lottery three times. Of course, in West Virginia, there's only three last names. So, you know, <clears throat> ouch, <clears throat> if you're from West Virginia. Kidding, kidding, kidding. Won the lottery three times and a quadriplegic. And he said, of these two people, <clears throat> which are the happiest? Well, we all, you know, he said, the research indicates that after one year, that people that have had an injury that made them a paraplegic or quadriplegic are as happy as people who report who've won the lottery. That's the research. Amazing, isn't it? How do we experience life? Is it the matter of gaining and getting and having more? Or is there something else to it? Look at what Jesus said. Jesus said this, Truly I say to you, that unless, unless a grain of wheat falls in the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies... It bears much fruit. I want to suggest to you that one way of adjusting is life that is limited or leveraged. <clears throat> life that is limited or leveraged. The word leverage, uh, this idea means, is taking a small initial investment, credit or borrowed funds, and gain a high return on that investment. When you leverage something in the financial markets, or you leverage an investment, or you leverage some kind of influence that you have, you're taking what you have, if you will, in some sense it may be small, and using it and bringing back a great return. Look what Jesus said. If you do this, if you will, if you will, as a, a grain of wheat fall to the earth, if it'll die, it will bear much fruit. Now, I thought about that. Again, this is one of those conversations I did say to Jesus. Say, say what? Die? Is this some kind of morbid explanation that Jesus is trying to say? No, Jesus is saying that unless your life, if you will, we'll see some more of this, unless your life like a grain goes into the earth and dies, it won't bear much fruit. I did a little research on seeds. Not that I've ever worked in a garden or in a yard, but uh, <clears throat> discovered something. Seeds have within them the very nature of life that they need. And I did a little research and looked at this because Jesus talking about a grain or wheat that seeds have their life within them. But if they're in a little package, you know, at the store or as my father-in-law would have in a grain bin, they're just sitting there. And they're absolutely, if you will, unable to experience the life that's within them. Now, the, the research that I read about that was that when a, when a grain or a, a seed goes into the ground, that the water actually helps as it goes into that soil and warmth, cracks or breaks the seed. And in that seed then are all of the nutrients and resources with, with the ground and the water to enable it to grow. It's fascinating. It, it has to go underground. I remember when I first married Becky, uh, I talked to Arlen several times about uh, uh, raising wheat and and I thought they were kidding me. They, they did kid me a few times, a kid from Houston going to the farm, when they told me about wheat drills. 
And I said, right. There's water well drills. There's oil well drills. No, no, they actually poke it in the ground like that. And I said to Arlen one time, I said, how, do you ever worry if it's growing? You ever, you ever wonder, you know, is it growing? It's underneath. You can't see it. It, it looks like nothing's happening. You know, it hasn't rained. I said, what, what do you do when it doesn't rain? He said, well, every day it doesn't rain. It, closer to the day it will rain. I said, that's why you're a farmer and I'm not. <laughs> it's not the way I think. And I said, you know, I, I would be nervous. You can imagine that. I'd be nervous. I'd want to dig those things up. Are you doing okay? Are you doing all right? <laughs> Everything okay? You need anything? You know, it, it's, it's hidden. It's away. It looks like death. It looks like this thing that you took is buried. You know, the, the scripture says in the Old Testament, they that sow in tears reap in joy. You know, you know what that means is that in the ancient world, you know, most of the people in Israel lived a subsistence level. They didn't have a lot of margin. They didn't have a lot of food. They lived kind of from hand to mouth and they, they didn't have a lot of things. And there's research and study that when these farmers would go, knowing that, they didn't have much at home. They didn't have much to eat at home. And they, and they look at this seed and say, well, we could grind it up and at least turn it into meal or, or something and we could at least have a, another meal. And here is the father of the farm, the father of the family. As he's sowing these seeds, he's weeping. Why? He's taking food from the family that will go in the ground that he believes that someday that investment, that understanding of leveraging that little that he's got, leveraging those seeds that he's got will bring about a harvest. I can see that in my mind's eye, can't you? I can see a man thinking, should I really do this or should we just eat this? Jesus is saying, if you don't take your life, if you take it and you just hold on to it, if it doesn't die in the earth, it's not going to bear any fruit. If it doesn't come to the point of me having my life, if you will, buried, <clears throat> call it all, whatever you want, die to self, turn to Jesus, let him lead your life, that this idea of allowing that seed to go in the ground, that if you will take that seed of your life, if I will take that, if it, if it, if it doesn't, it, you know what he says, it remains alone, one seed. But if it's in the ground, if it dies, it bears much fruit. Also discovered something else. <clears throat> Seeds retain their life a long time. National Geographic had a research project or study they did that there was a seed that they found in Israel uh, close to Masada where the uh, Jewish people had had their final uh, battle with the Romans in about 70 AD around that area. They found some seeds and they wondered, I'll just read you, they, they wondered if these seeds would in fact grow. These little seeds, been there. National Geographic declares that these studies, they went to the environmental studies of Kibbutz Keturah and they broke open or took these seeds and, and worked with them, put them in the ground and they germinated and they were 2,000 years old. You know what they call the seed? The Methuselah seed. <laughs> The Methuselah seed, that seed, 2,000 years in that dry climate was able to sustain, if you will, the life properties within it. And all it needed was to go in the ground with some water, go in the ground and, and allow that, that seed to allow those forces of life that are in them to come out. I, I, this is, I put in my note, it's a sidebar, but I just want to say this to somebody. I, I, you know, I'm not that smart, but I want to say this to somebody. I've lived long enough to know this. There are people that have regrets about life and think I shoulda, I woulda, I coulda. And you think you don't have any seed left to go. I just want to tell you, if a 2,000 year old seed can be planted and grow again, your life's not over. You're not done. You can continue to trust God and say, I may not have planted it like I should have some time ago, or I could have planted it this way, or I would have planted it this way if I'd known better. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. We, we all got that. That the striking truth of a seed is that when it goes in the ground and it dies, it brings forth fruit. I don't know who that's for. Maybe it's for me. I, you know, I don't know. But I was reading, I had the, the strong impression to say to people, you, you, you think you're done. 
you, you don't think there's any life left. I'm telling you, leverage what you have. Your life, my life, let, let's leverage it, if you will, for the kingdom of God. So it's, it's this matter about leveraging, put, putting it in the ground, putting it in there. Let, let me tell you another thing here. Look what he says. If you'll put it in the ground, it will bear much fruit. Now this image that Jesus is using is clear to us. It, it means to take one's life and leverage it and invest it and place it somewhere where it can bring forth fruit. This is a hard statement from Jesus at times. If you just hold on to your life, if you just keep it, we're going to look at, he's going to say something else here in a minute, that, that, that you don't have your life. You, you, you have to leverage it. You have to use it. When I was working on this, uh, if you plant it, if you, if, you, <clears throat> if you put your life in the ground, and that could mean, if, if you will, to invest it in the kingdom of God and the work of God. You know, Deborah's doing that, but you know what? We can do that here. We don't have to go to Roatan or Honduras. or we, we can do that right here. But so many of us are trying to find happiness in some other way, temporary, some things instead of the gospel of Jesus. This, this, this idea here is, is, is powerful. The next one here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. A life that is lost or kept. Notice what Jesus said. Truly I say to you, he who loves his life will lose it. But he who hates his life in this world will keep it. Now, let's, let's look at that here for a second. <clears throat> just as there are words for love in the New Testament, just as there are words, if you will, for what about love, different ones. This word hates. It's been misunderstood, I think, um, in, in, in some ways, that if we're going to keep our life, we've got to lose it. Uh, Oscar Wilde, uh, I went and heard Robbie Zacharias this year speak, and I, I've become very fascinated a little more with the, with the life of Oscar Wilde. Maybe, maybe you've known about him, a poet in the late 1800s who lived a pretty uh, 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 loose life. And uh, there are several you know, quotes about what he said uh, at his death. Uh, one of them is supposed to be, uh, this wallpaper's got to go or I got to go. What a way to leave the world. <laughs> yeah. That's what he said. That's what it's reported, you know. What a full life. <laughs> he, he said this. He said, there are two great tragedies in life. Not getting what you want and getting what you want. Think about that. This guy apparently had no real connection with Jesus in terms of his values from what we could tell. I mean, I'm not his judge. I don't know, but... Those are the two great traits. You get what you want or you don't get what you want. This idea when Jesus said, if you hate your life. Now, the word here, hate, <clears throat> I'll give you a little, a little background on this. <clears throat> the word hate here is really, if you will, the, the idea of loving less. Now, there's some <clears throat> discussion about in Hebrew and Aramaic that there isn't really the word for love. There isn't, they don't have a comparative or superlative adjective, more, less, that, that there's idea that, in fact, if you're going to look at this later, in, in Genesis 29, 30, uh, it says that Jacob loved Leah, I mean, loved Rachel, but he hated Leah. That was his second wife. She gave him four sons. He didn't hate her too much. You know. <clears throat> Jesus says in the Gospels, you have to hate your mother and father or you cannot be my disciple. I mean, I had that down when I was 16. That was my life verse. <laughs> I've told you that. It, it means to love less. It, it, it means, it, it, surely it's not healthy psychologically or emotionally to go, boy, I hate my life, I hate my life. No. no. Jesus is saying here that if you love your life more than you love him, you're going to lose it. If, if you love your life, if you love your plans, you'll lose it. We see that in life and in his circumstances where people, uh, some guys have said it this way, you know, you spend all your life trying to get up the ladder, climbing the ladder of success, and realize when you get to the top of the ladder, you're on the wrong wall. <laughs> right? You love the track, you know, you loved all that. And, and, hey, I'm on the wrong wall. Some of us as men, when we get older, we, we start asking ourselves, am I, am I giving my life to what matters? You know, I, the clock's ticking. 
it's, it's winding out. Is my life one that is lost or kept? It's a big question here. And Jesus said, if you, if you love your life so much that you won't give it up, you're going to lose it. You know, there's several, I mean, secular reasons. I don't believe everything he says, but, but when Harold Kushner wrote his book, When All You Ever Wanted Isn't Enough, when all you ever wanted isn't, his basic premise is this, that when you get all you want, you're going to find out it isn't enough. Money's not going to do it for you. Fame isn't going to do it for you. Prestige isn't going to do it. We, we sort of get this as we get a little older and understand life's got to be more than just me hanging on to what I have. Fascinating. Who loses his life will keep it. A couple years ago, or more than a couple years ago, several years ago, Steve Green from Hobby Lobby People came and <clears throat> spoke at our church. They were uh, developing or, or, produce, or producing the film Through Gates of Splendor. Uh, it's the story of Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCauley, and one other guy, uh, I think I've got his name here, uh, Roger Fleming, uh, Pete Fleming, who in the late 50s were killed by the Aoka Indians, the Wadani tribe. And Jim Elliott... Uh, went with his friends uh, to that area of the world where there had never been a witness for Jesus. And you can go read the story online. It, it's a fascinating story. You might know in 1958 that after they all died, there was a full cover on Newsweek on the front page about these four men, honoring them. They, they say that because of what Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCauley, and Pete Fleming did, the largest influx of missionary volunteers in the history up to that time occurred. You know, Jim was famous, <clears throat> we're not, but, but Jim Elliott was famous for saying this, he is no fool to give what he cannot keep, to receive what he cannot lose. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep. You know, I, my life, you're, we can't keep it. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to receive from God that which he cannot lose. That was Jim Elliott's motto. That, that was the way Jim Elliott lived. He liked it. He didn't love his life so much that he counted it as anything for himself. He gave it away. So that day, whenever uh, Steve Green, I think I got him right. I, I get all these names mixed up, but one of those green guys. <laughs> I don't think it's David. Anyway, leave him alone. He's okay. Here we go. <laughs> Came up on the stage and talked about the movie. This was several years ago. These guys were killed in 1958, martyred as they tried to just tell people about Jesus. Out on the stage strides a man named Minkay. Minkay was introduced as one of the Aoka Indian there, the Wadani tribe, who said, before Jim Elliott and these men came, we walked a very bad path. And now we walk the good path with Jesus. Mr. Green inter introduced him as an elder and as a leader in the church. Mickey was one of the men who was a young boy and assisted in killing Jim Elliott. And he was on the platform of this church right here. Let me ask you something. Do you think when Jim Elliott said he did not love his life, but he gave it, did that make any difference? I mean, I, I remember my dad told me that story when I was a kid. I remember sat, sitting there that day and listening to a man named Minkay who had killed and been involved in the killing of these four men. And they are now followers of Jesus taking the gospel into the jungles of Ecuador. Wow. Hey man, do you, look, look here. If you try to keep your life, you're going to lose it. You're, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, he says, if you lose your life, you'll keep it. Life that is kept or lost. And then finally, life that is led and honored. Look what Jesus said. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. 
If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. It's interesting here that Jesus is talking about a life that now is led, led and honored. Look who he said. If anyone served me, he must follow me. You know, I've told you, you've heard this, but it, it bears reiterating. I, I, don't, I don't even use the word Christian anymore. I'm not even sure what it means. It's a noun. But Jesus always talked to people about following him, about a life being lived by following. I, I don't always do a great job at it. There are times when I have to get some help to say, what does it mean to follow Jesus in this particular circumstance or situation? But look what he said. If, you'll, if you serve me, you'll follow me. I underlined some terms when I thought this life that is led and honored, if anyone serves me, you know, you know what my experience has been as a Christian early on? I didn't want to go to hell and I wanted to have happiness, but I think I thought that it was Jesus' job to serve me. <laughs> Bear with me? I thought that was his job. I thought he needed to serve me. So if I got sick or I had any problems or any difficulties, I would say, hey, why, what happened here? Why did this happen? Jesus says here, if, if anyone serves me, he's got to follow me. Now this, this is something we don't hear about at times, but, but I'm willing to follow. I'm, I'm willing to, to allow him to lead my life, and I serve him. I tell my students sometimes I think what I've done, and maybe, maybe others have done it too. I sort of treat Jesus like a waiter. You know, when I need him, I call him. You know, I mean, I'd be aghast if I, you know, ordered some food and they brought it. And then the waiter or waitress sat down and said, I think I'll have dinner with you. Oh, no, <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen here. I didn't invite you. This is not, but, but the idea of us serving Jesus or him, serving, it's both. But look what he said. This is a, what, what kind of life gets honored by the father. If you serve me, you'll follow me. And where I am, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor do you ever worry about, or not worry, do you ever wonder? Are you asking Jesus to serve you? Or are you willing to serve him? Or are you willing to say, I value so much. I see your worth and your value so much that I'm willing now to, let, to serve you and not have you serve me always. I, I, I want to look at some application here because I think about this. Look, what does this look like? This kind of life. I want to suggest a couple of things. No one, to find ways to give ourselves away, time and interest. Now, notice, I want, to, I want to say it this way to our family and friends first. I'm not calling you to go, go on the mission field or, or have to do something dramatic here. I, I'm asking, what if we find ways to give ourselves away? That, that's, I'm leveraging my life, I'm planting it, I'm, I'm allowing my life to be planted. You know why I think? Because if we do it with our family and friends first, we can practice before we try to give ourselves away to others. Isn't that true? If you can practice something that's helpful, practice it first. In other words, say, I'm going to give my life away. I'm going to quit being so self-centered. Do that. To give it away. This is a way we can practice. What about this also? To believe and act on the notion that life cannot be preserved. It can only be invested Got a real fast story to illustrate this. Several years ago, I was at Dillard's on my day, my weekly rotation, and I saw a pair of uh, Echo shoes. I have a pair, a couple pair, but it's a really good deal. And so I said to Becky, "I'm going to buy these, and I'm going to use. I'm going to I'm going to keep them. And they're great shoes. They're wonderful. They were like almost free. They weren't really, but they were close to it. And I I remember." putting those in the closet and every once in a while I just look at them and look them out and say, oh, look at those shoes. Aren't the, man, those are going to look good on me someday. I know I have a sad little life. <laughs> and one day, for some reason, after a while, I took those echoes out of the box and started wearing them. I came home that afternoon and looked on the carpet and I said, boy, Becky's not keeping this house very straight. What's all these little black kind of balls of stuff? Kind of all a little trail. Now, it's, I tell you, I'm not that smart. I'm loud. I didn't connect it. The trail was following me. <laughs> and I looked around after a little while, and I thought, wait a minute, it's these, it's these shoes, these Echo shoes. 
You, you know what had happened? They had rotted. <laughs> you know why? Because shoes aren't meant to just stay in the closet. They're to be worn. I was thinking if I could just save these shoes... I could just hold on to them and, and not use them and, and have them for some day when I really want to show myself off. Yeah, I did that all right. It was like there was cardboard and my feet were coming through them. I went to Diller and said, hey, you sold me some. No. They said, Mr. Sanders, if you don't wear shoes, they rot. The sweat in your feet and the elasticity in the, that you wear. I've often wondered that about my life. What am I holding on to? If I don't use, it's just going to rot. What, what, what am I holding on to? What am I refusing to let Jesus have and to say, put that in the ground, Cliff. Put it in the ground now. Use it for God's kingdom. Or quit loving yourself and love others. Put it in the ground. Because you know that life cannot be preserved. It can only be invested. And what will you invest your life? Now, your children, your life, I understand all that. But what will we do? And then finally, this last thing. I told you I'm going to do one. To live a life of being led by Jesus. What, what does that mean, Cliff? I think His Word and His Spirit become our final authority. To live a life being led, that's what He said, whoever serves me will follow me. How do I know what that looks like? It looks like a life where God's Word and His Spirit are my final authority. That's how I'm led. In the week you've had that experience, or I have where because of some circumstance or situation, I'm being led, the Word of God, the Spirit of God. I think Jesus is talking about life right here. We don't always hear this. I mean, we hear like, believe in Jesus, accept Him as your Lord and Savior. I understand, it's all good stuff. But this is Jesus getting down to adjust us to reality, say, here's how life works. We can believe it or not. We can participate or not. But what he's saying is this is the adjustment to my reality, to your reality, of how life is really experienced. I don't want to tell you how old I was when I finally believed that Jesus knew how to live life. It would be embarrassing to me. Maybe you haven't really come to that point. Do you really believe when he says, if you'll give, you'll get. If you surrender, you'll win. If you, if you serve, you'll lead. All, all of those crazy statements that he makes, are they true? This is the adjustment. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's easy for our life, my life, to get out of adjustment because of so many uh, uh, pressures I pray that you'll help us as we look at these words more, as we continue to think of application of how we might live like this, that we would do it with the full assurance that you know exactly how this stuff works. You know what it means to leverage our life. You know what it means to keep it and not lose it. And you know what it means to be led and honored by your Father. That's what we want. That's what we desire. And we pray it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.